This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 76 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Back on Track with the generous support of Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. show, Gunther Seidel brings us up to date on his road to recovery, and we hear from Horse Radio Network's affiliate, Mary Phelps. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Folsom, Louisiana, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Heather Blitz. Welcome back. Thank you, Chris. It's been a little while. I know, and uh, you've been tearing around the country, I've heard, doing clinics and uh, putting on some pretty impressive performances. Uh, I think since WEG, of course, was Devon. I don't think we've spoken to you since then. No, it's it's been longer than that since I've been on and happy to be back. And uh, yes, I have been around the country and um, I've returned from very exciting week at Devon. And I'm sorry to miss the WEG, but I was really happy to have... Uh, Competed at Devon with Paragon uh, last month. He was super, of course, winning the pre-St. George in the I-1 at his ripe old age of seven. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just a a superstar out there. I know, and I've been watching your Facebook uh, fan page and all the comments that he gets on his fan page, too. He's become quite the star now. Is, is, Is he living up to that stardom? He's living up to it and then some. I think he's actually getting a little too used to it. <laughs> no, he still works hard every day, and I keep his uh, his head from getting too big, and he keeps mine from getting too big. It's still really real. We still have a lot of work to do and a lot of strength to build. And, um, you know, it was, it was very exciting to see how he's starting out with these um, early competitions in his life. But I know it's still a long road to haul, and um, we, we work hard every day, so... He's just, uh, he's a happy guy, and um, I try to do my best to keep him right on track where he needs to be. Well, speaking of a long road to haul, you had to haul him all the way up uh, from Louisiana to Pennsylvania. That must have been quite a trek. It was. We did it in two days. Um, One way was 1,300 miles, so it's uh, pretty much half of the country, and it's the only kind of downside to living down here in Louisiana. It's a wonderful place to live with the best food in the whole world. Um, but it is a little far away from events that I need to get to like that. But we split it up in two days and also two days on the way back. It makes it a little longer time away from home, but, um, it's what you got to do. So we made the trip all right. And, um, I think it's just so looking forward to getting back out there again. Well, home of course is Louisiana for now, but I believe you, you're going to head back to Florida for the winter. That's right. We leave around uh, the beginning of December and we'll, um, put up or set up shop down there in Wellington for until about uh, uh, through April or so like that and then see how it goes competing with him and a few other horses I have in training too hopefully this season in Florida. So looking forward to a busy showing season down there when Wellington gets going. Yeah I love it down there it's so exciting so many horses and so much going on. Terrific. Well, we will be following you with interest. But this week, of course, we've got a full show again this week. And I know you're going to bring us a tip a little bit later on in the show, Heather. We're also going to catch up with Gunter Seidel, you know, who took that very nasty fall when he landed in Germany. 
um, earlier this year in the beginning of the summer and of course that thwarted his bid at uh, heading for, heading for a place on the selection trials for the World Equestrian Games so uh, we managed to catch up with Gunter and uh, see how he's doing in his rehab after that nasty fall and we're also going to be talking to Mary Phelps of course Mary Phelps from Dressage Daily and HorsesDaily.com she is an affiliate here on the Horse Radio Network carrying some of our shows so we're going to uh, be talking to Mary also in a little while. Well, uh, we're going to take a short break. There's a company that we just love that offers products to improve lifestyle and mobility, and they have been the mainstay in European therapeutic therapies for many years. Plus, they are used and endorsed by many of the top dressage, eventing, and show jumping riders worldwide. We are talking about back on track, of course. If you're looking for a quality holiday gift for any horse lover that will truly benefit their horse, then look no further than any of Back on Track's products, including exercise boots, bell boots, saddle pads, sheets, and so much more. You can find all of their products at BackOnTrackProducts.com. That's BackOnTrackProducts.com. Or give them a call at 888-758-9836. That's 888-758-9836. Heather, we've got a, f- a whole lot of news that I want to cover this week. You know, it comes in waves, it, news being the nature of news. And it all began, of course, last weekend at the Global Dressage Forum in uh, the Netherlands. And, of course, that was right on the back of Totalus being sold to Germany, which we covered extensively here on the Dressage Radio Show. And, of course, Edward Gall and his trainer, Nicole Werner, were at the Global Dressage uh, Forum. And they uh, actually, they gave a clinic to the forum and uh, Edward himself rode the stallion Lord of Loxley and uh, Loxley and impressed the audience with his riding and openness in which he and his trainer uh, explained the details of their training method. Edward of course is currently riding Lord of Loxley who's been brought by Clyde Wonderwald for Australian Bet- Brett Parbury. Brett of course was ninth at the World Equestrian Games on Victory Salute and uh, he'll be coming on the show here shortly too so we're looking forward to hearing from Brett. Other highlights of the two-day forum there in the Netherlands were a clinic by German coach Johnny Hilbert, an explanation of new FEI international stewarding rules by FEI head steward Jacques de Vandal, and an exhibition by Frenchman Jean-Francois Pignon. There were also lectures from FEI's director of dressage, Trant Asmier, dressage chairman Frank Kemperman, and veterinary director Graham Cook. Graham took that opportunity to announce that the World Equestrian Games did not have any positive doping cases, not only on the equine side, but actually also on the athlete side. The International Riders and Trainers Club showed innovations and presented proposals for improving the judging system. And there was also a lecture on the shoeing and foot care of top horses. There were over 300 participants from 27 countries taking part from all over the world, and among them were many top riders, trainers, judges, officials, journalists and scientists, and most of them agreed that the Global Dressage Forum has now become a very important instrument in exchanging information on technical and organisational aspects on the quickly expanding sport of dressage. In 2011, the Global Dressage Forum will take place again in the Netherlands town of Hugemeerde from October 30th to 31st. Um, you know, that is becoming a really popular event now on the calendar, you know, from all sides of the sport, as we heard there, Heather. I'm, I think I'm definitely going to have to make myself one of those 300 participants next October. I think I can't miss it next time. It, it's becoming, you know, the place to hang out, to find out, you know, what... Uh, 
you know, what the movers and shakers have in mind and, and, and a place to influence the sport. I mean, could you imagine being around all of those professionals and all those other participants? I mean, you couldn't get more in, like, right in the middle of the, just the thick of it. And it would be really exciting. Yeah. And, and I think without the pressure of competing or, you know, showing in any way, it, you're all on your feet and able to really focus on the issues of the sport. Right, and I bet there's a few fun parties to go along with it, too. <laughs> no doubt there is, knowing the dressage people. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I think uh, you should go next year, Heather, and report back to us here on the Dressage Radio Show. It's on my calendar now. Unless, of course, I happen to be in Mexico um, doing something with my little scruffy pony in the Pan Am Games. Ah, yes, that little event we were looking forward to. Yes, you're going to have to keep <laughs> us updated on that uh, uh, plan. I know that's a, a potential goal for you, so uh, you'll have to keep us posting there. So well, you could be excused for not going to the Netherlands if you did have to ride in the Pan Ams. Good, good, good. Glad to know that. <laughs> well, oh, another top-class competition, of course, that took place in Europe this past weekend was the second leg of the World Cup qualifiers. That's the Reem Acre FEI World Cup at uh, Lyon in France. And that was won by Isabel Werth with Varumnicht. She made 80% with uh, Hansi. Of course, uh, she is the 2007 World Cup champion. And she also now is enjoying back-to-back -back wins after winning the World Cup qualifier in, in Odense in Denmark uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And it was a perfect start, of course, to the season with two wins. And that uh, qualifies Isabel for the final and allows her to introduce her younger horses, El Santo and probably Don Johnson. They're both nine-year-olds and they've been waiting in the wings now to be part of the World Cup. At second place at uh, Lyon was uh, Germany's Ulla Salzgeber with Herzrufs Erbe. She scored 78.8% in the freestyle. They were making their indoor debut and, of course, uh, Ulla with her famous partner, Rusty, were the 2001 and 2002 World Cup champions. Also making her World Cup debut was Italian's Valentine Trooper, riding Chablis. She scored 74.5% to finish third behind the two Germans there. And Isabel now is looking forward to uh, competing in Frankfurt, while um, Edward Gahl and Hans-Peter Minderhoen of the Netherlands will be competing in Stockholm, Sweden, at the end of November. Those dates for that World Cup qualifier are the 26th and the 28th. So it's, it's all go in Europe now, Heather, with those World Cup qualifiers. Does it make you want to be wish you were over there and competing? Oh, and then some. I, I miss it so much going over there. I had such such a great time learning and just enjoying the whole, the whole thing. I do have to give some kudos to our um, fellow co-host, Catherine Haddad, also. I know she went to Leon. I don't have the results in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I read she was sixth in that qualifier competition of um uh that cbiw in leon too so i just want to say congratulations to our friend and co-host Catherine. also absolutely and i believe she finished 11th in the freestyle um <clears throat> dropped down a few places with uh, winamaro her big chestnut with a big white face and mm -hmm. stockings um but yeah she uh, i think she enjoyed her trip to france and she's also a keen photographer by the look of things she's posting some nice photos on her fan page and or a profile on the Facebook and you can always tell where people have been these days by following them on on Facebook. <laughs> such a, such an amazing invention. <laughs> well, at the other end of the world, um, the uh, Australians were enjoying their dressage championships last week, and and Heath Ryan and Regarda Moi 
were crowned the 2010 Bates Australian Dressage Champions uh, Grand Prix Champions at the Sydney International Equestrian Centre. That, of course, is in Horsley Park, which was the site of the 2000 Olympic Games. It's been a tough road back to the top for Ryan, who was the Australian champion in 2008, but suffered a stroke in May 2009. Now 52, Ryan won Saturday night's uh, and the Hamilton Island CDIW Freestyle on a countback. That was his score of 70.3, was equal to Jeet Donvig from Victoria on Port Said 10 on a countback of the artistic scores. Mary Hanna placed third with 67.45 in the freestyle on her new nine-year-old gelding Sunset, who's by Sandro Hitt, and of course formerly ridden by Stefan Peters. Ryan and Regarde Moir also won the Golden Grand Prix on 66.383 and Australian Sports Commission's Grand Prix Special on 65.625, making it a clean sweep of the Grand Prix classes to earn him the 2010 Australian Grand Prix Championship title. Ryan now is aiming his, uh, is aiming his goals for the London Olympic Games in both eventing and dressage. He com- commented after his Grand Prix win last weekend that he thought he was done but things are coming together in both disciplines, and he'll be having a good crack at both teams for London. Well, that's an amazing recovery. You know, Heath uh, was really sidelined with that stroke last year, which uh, took, of course, the eventing and dressage world by storm, and it was shocking news. You know, he's only in his early 50s, uh, Heather, but it just reminds us of our, of our vulnerability, but he's making a terrific comeback. Boy, it sounds like it. He must be quite a fighter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that Ryan family are, you know, Matt Ryan, of course, the Barcelona eventing gold medalist. Uh, it, it's in their blood, I think. Uh, and the, the, those Australians are tough cookies, aren't they? Well, they are. And especially if he's got a, skills to make their dressage team, then he must be quite a contender on their eventing team, since we all know that ventures have to nail that dressage to get up in the top, the top placing. So what, yes. a, what strength they have in him. That's absolutely true. You know, it always reminds me of the U.S. Dressage Federation's marketing motto, which I think is wonderful, that they use at the Rolex Kentucky three-day event and other three-day events. Uh, and the banner reads uh, that uh, eventing begins with dressage. Oh, good for them. <laughs> Everything does. Everything does. <laughs> well, Dressage Canada uh, has some news uh, this week, too, that they've announced that they have been unsuccessful in their bid to retain the services of team technical coach and advisor Robert Dover beyond the one-year term that expired on October 15th. And while efforts have been made over the past several months to extend the contract, the two sides have been unable to reach an agreement for this position due to financial constraints and time commitments. Dover was instrumental in the Canadian team's success on the European tour and best ever placing at the Altec FEI World Equestrian Games in Kentucky. And in addition to this, Dover conducted clinics for Dressage Canada for listed riders nationwide. Dressage Canada is currently negotiating a consultancy role with Robert. Um, so news there from Canada. I think they will they will miss him. They that you know he's done so much for them in this past year, Heather. Well, maybe they can at least uh, just take everything they've learned from him in the year they had him, and you know continue on their road with all the things in mind that he you know, instilled in that year. And maybe that consultancy role is just a really great kind of compromise to still get help from him, but kind of puts him more off the hook. It has to be, I mean, I, of course, I don't know from any personal experience, but it has to be such a huge time commitment to, um, you know, be that kind of a technical coach 
an advisor for another country. I mean, imagine all of the travel and just a huge time commitment. So yes, a little bit not surprised, but um, this sounds like a really great kind of compromise. Absolutely. Well, I've got a piece of news here for you, Heather, because I know what uh, <laughs> what a geek. No, I wasn't saying what now a geek. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I heard what you were going to say. <laughs> too late, too late. I'm never coming back. <laughs> okay, maybe I will. <laughs> You're easily turned, easily. But I know that you, I know how you love your, your technical toys, and this one's right up your sweet, this street. In fact, there are two. This, uh, but I have to tell you that the International Equestrian Federation, the FEI, of course, has launched a mobile phone application which gives those involved in horse sport much faster and easier access to crucial information on prohibited substances. The Clean Sport app allows immediate access to the FEI Equine Prohibited Substances online database. And while the free app will initially be available for iPhone users, the FEI is looking into how the technology could be adapted for other smartphones, as well as enabling users to easily navigate the Equine Prohibited Substance database. The app also includes short definitions on each substance, as well as the selection of common trade names. And there's also a feedback back function for users who need further advice or clarification. I mean, that has to be a useful tool right there for all riders that are competing, Heather. Oh, sorry, I was distracted. I was downloading the app onto my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I um, just it is, knew it's you would. Incredible. No, I just <laughs> knew you had to have it. <laughs> I'm getting it right now, and they also have Equitests from the FEI. You can get mm -hmm. on your iPhone. Quite amazing. Oh, I think the yeah the the prohibited substances. Not that I would use any of them, but if you need to know what you can do, that's that's such a great uh, way to make it accessible, isn't it? I mean that immediate information, no matter where you are, you have it right there at your fingertips. That's that's terrific. I love that. And uh, in the UK, you know, they've also developed a new app for veterinary services, the free veterinary emergency telephone app, has a database of more than 5,500 UK-based vets. It uses the GPS in your phone to locate your position before searching the database to find the nearest vet practice to you. And a map shows you your position and supplies directions to take your horse or dog to the clinic. Online veterinary medicine supplier Vet UK has launched the app and hopes to extend the service to list vets in France, Spain and Italy. Well, I hope it comes to the States, Heather. How useful is that? I think that's a fantastic idea. I'm always a little worried when I'm on the road if something happens halfway there and I need to know where to go as quickly as possible. That's a great idea. It really is. You know, take your horse or dog or any other animal, I guess, just to have that information. You know, GPS is a wonderful tool, isn't it? GPS? Yeah, I, I couldn't read a map now if you told me to. <laughs> so you know, my GPS a little pink line and I can get anywhere I need to go. <laughs> You know, have to, since we're on the subject of, of iPhone apps, I have to tell you one of the coolest ones at my bank. I have an account with a bank that has this new way you can deposit a check just by taking a picture of it with your phone, the front and the back, and you email it to them and it's deposited. Oh, That's you're kidding. Oh, I have yeah. to have that. It's, ah. it's the coolest thing. That's my new favorite thing. Oh, you heard it here. That is great, Heather. I love that idea. I love it. You know, I think I'm as bad as you when it comes to technical toys. I uh huh. Just... But I wouldn't call you a geek. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know you wouldn't. But, you know, in the interest of, uh, interest of full disclosure here, Heather, I think you have to tell our friends around the world that you do now own an iPad. I do, and I, I just love it. There's so much more 
real estate you can mess with and it's still it's just as convenient and it, the reader on it's really fantastic i almost forget sometimes that i'm not holding a real book and of course you can have so many of them on there and it just everything packs up into this thin little wonderful thing so it's really fun to have not that you're into new technology or anything it's a convenience tool right oh just for business that's all no fun no fun at all you do need to get angry birds though it's a really funny game Angry Birds. <laughs> I think we need to do an app review. We'll we'll let you do that every time you come on the show, Heather. We'll have an app review, and it can be anything. Oh could, boy! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's letting you loose here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a short break here. I think Glenn's going to bring us an update on the Kentucky Performance uh, products. And when we come back, we're going to uh, hear from Mary Phelps of Dressage Daily. All horses have individual nutritional needs, and we know that meeting them can be challenging. It doesn't matter if you are a professional horseman or a weekend warrior. You want to provide the nutrition necessary for your horse to thrive. The experts at Kentucky Performance Products understand this and have developed supplements that target specific needs. KPP's products are formulated to complement today's feeds and safeguard against over-supplementation. Best of all, their supplements work. To choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, go to kppusa.com. Or to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the experts at KPP, join their Facebook page. Just search for Kentucky Performance Products. Well, Mary Phelps uh, joined the Horse Radio Network's family of affiliates. We have uh, affiliates all over the world, well, in 42 countries now, in fact. And, of course, Mary was the founder and uh, the CEO of DressageDaily.com and HorsesDaily.com. So it was time we had her on the show here uh, to tell us a little bit more about those websites and uh, how she became an affiliate of the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, Mary. Welcome back to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great in sunny Kentucky, and I think we've just all about recovered from the World Equestrian Games, so I wanted to catch up with you because you've been a great supporter of the Horse Radio Network, carrying the Dressage Radio Show on Horses Daily and DressageDaily.com. They're two websites that you founded. Yep, that's right. And actually, we started in 1997, which uh, is kind of hard to believe right now, but that was pretty much when things just got started with uh, the Internet. So, yeah, well, you were truly one of the pioneers, and you've built up those websites to be really comprehensive. Now, let's just talk about the Dressage Daily one, Mary, because obviously that focuses uh, on dressage. Uh, tell us a little bit how that all came about. Well, we were uh, actually, we launched Dressage Daily in June of 1997, and it came out right when we were having the uh, dressage championships, our national dressage championships at Gladstone. And even back then, we were excited to have a good audience, about 30,000 visitors a week at that time. And now we're getting pretty close between five and 7,000 visitors daily. So that's a pretty good audience coming to us every day. That's fantastic. Now, I know you first heard about, heard about the Horse Radio Network and the Dressage Radio Show, particularly in the early days. So uh, it's, um, it's some additional content for you on your websites. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we put uh, a live feed um, in the columns of our website so that the latest dressage radio shows will be showing up there and linkable. And now with the morning show coming on, we're going to be plugging that in as well so that people that are online in the morning and surfing through the Internet and spending time on our site can be listening to the morning show as well. I know. that We're very excited about that, of course. That's Horses in the Morning, the very latest addition to the Horse Radio Network stable of radio shows, which actually launched this week. Check, right. check that out every morning now. Well, I hope you'll be a regular listener, Mary. It's something to listen to. 90 minutes of live radio. How about that? We're breaking new ground here. I know. I know. It's really great. And I listened to it the other day and was able to work along on my computer because in the mornings, that's when I try to get all of my work done. And we have a team that's involved in all of this uh, as well. So we all work virtually together. And we it's almost as if we were in the same office because we're all on instant messenger together and uh, get a lot of things done and posted on both websites as we move throughout the day. And then usually I try to be finished at about 3 in the afternoon uh, so I can play with my little driving ponies and have fun with uh, my own horses. So the Internet, was that just a natural progression for you, Mary? I mean, you, you've been a photographer for years. Was, was it just an opportunity you saw when the Internet became popular to build those websites and, and really indulge in your passion? It it really was, Chris. In a way, it was definitely jumping in feet first when it all happened. It basically started at the Atlanta Olympic Games in 1996 when we were working together with the United States equestrian team, providing them with photographs. And actually, 1996 was the first time that ever an Olympic Games was on the Internet. And uh, the USET was on top of it, and we were providing them with photos. Now, back then, they were, I was still shooting with negatives and prints, and we would Federal Express photos up to the USET every day in uh, New Jersey, and then they would scan the images and get them online. So before I even had my own computer, I knew that uh, that would be our next step. So we got the name registered, and um, the rest is history, really. Well, back in the days of negativism films and, and film labs, and it's, it's all in the dark and distant past. Now, literally, no more dark rooms. I know. It's, it's really incredible when you think where we were then, and just after having covered the World Equestrian Games, where... It was streaming live on several channels, and we had all kinds of reporting going on at the World Equestrian Games from personal blogs to different websites with lots of streaming video. It's, it's really incredible how it's grown, and this World Equestrian Games in Kentucky had unprecedented live coverage of any equestrian event that's ever been held in our history don't you think yes quite possibly and of course a lot of that content on your website was all self-generated you you actually provide the photos and the articles and you have people writing for you as well for your sites don't you mary 
Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you know Diana DeRosa very well. She's been with us uh, ever since we began and is a fellow member, just like you are, of the International Alliance of Equestrian Journalists. And Diana DeRosa has been covering every Olympics and World Equestrian Games along with us since we went online in 1997. And uh, she's a machine. <laughs> she's, it's incredible to watch her. Uh, work and she covered everything and she has her own column with us called DeRosa Daily. And then we have father Larry David McCormick who is actually a uh, professor at Columbia University and his wife is a dressage rider and he is also a writer and a journalist and gives us his perspective on things. And uh, so we get a, a, a vast array of input and I'm still writing stories Chris and I mean I just finished today with our newest um, journalist Holly Jacobson who we had credentialed for the para equestrian games and I just finished posting a fabulous article about the para games at the Alltech World Equestrian Games and that was the part of the games that really affected me the most. It was an absolute amazing experience to be part of that history in the making. It certainly was a terrific competition and well covered on Dressage Daily and Horses Daily. Mary, I want to thank you so much for being with us and thank you for your support of the Dressage Radio Show and, of course, Horse Radio Network and our new shows here. And come back and visit us again soon. Thanks, Chris. And I have to remind you, how far back do you and I go? I mean, I think we first met at Aachen, was it? Or one of the World Equestrian Games in Europe when we very first, when they very first started in um, Stockholm, Sweden. So it's really great that we're almost neighbors here in Kentucky, huh? Absolutely. Well, you've got a better memory than I have, uh, Mary. (laughs) Well, thanks again for joining us. Come back and see us anytime here on the Horse Horse Radio Network's many shows, and not least of all, of course, on the one that I think is one of your favorites, the Dressage Radio Show. So thanks again for your time, Mary. Great. Thanks a lot for having me, Chris. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks again, Mary, for being part of our family. As you know, if you're a listener to the show, you can hear the Horse Radio Network's shows all over the world and also on your iPhone, too. And I wonder if our co-host here, Heather, listens to it on her iPhone. Is that a silly question, Heather? Do you listen to it on your iPhone? Um, yes, that's a silly question. <laughs> Okay, on to the next subject. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to go straight to another commercial break (laughs) on that note, Heather, uh, to hear from our friends over at Equestrian Collections. We've been speaking a whole lot in recent weeks about looking to Equestrian Collections for all of your fall and winter needs. They have all the top brands in winter wear for you and your horse. Well, in addition to winter, believe it or not, it is now November and time to start thinking about holiday gift giving. There's no better place to find those equestrian gift ideas than at Equestrian Collections. They have thousands of choices for all of your gift giving needs at some fantastic prices. Whether it is for that guy, girl, or equine in your life, you will find it all at EquestrianCollections.com. Get that holiday shopping started early at EquestrianCollections.com. Well, thanks, Glenn, for bringing us up to date on the products there. Some great shopping opportunities at Equestrian Collections. And 
And Heather, you know, our first guest, uh, second guest, I should say, here on the show this week is a friend, of course, of the Horse Radio Network. He's been now on, on the show a couple of times, Gunter Seidel. Gunter, of course, based in California. He suffered a horrible fall when he went over to Germany at the beginning of the summer as part of his preparations for making it to the selection trials for the World Equestrian Games. Um, and he fractured his pelvis very, very badly. It was a real bucking uh, event apparently where he got to displace and um, they believe he, he might have even fractured his pelvis while he was still in the saddle uh, because you two decided that uh, you know he could have a lot of fun uh, getting Gunter um, pivoted out of the rocketed out of the saddle before um, he finally deposited him and it was a very very nasty fall but uh, fortunately I'm delighted to tell you that Gunter is well on the mend now he's had surgery a couple of times and the second uh, surgery was very recently when he was in Germany to have the plates and the pin removed from his pelvis and uh, he's doing extremely well so we're delighted that we were able to catch up with him and and hear how that recovery has been so let's uh, get Gunter on the line. Well, Gunter, welcome back to the Dressage Radio Show. It's been a while since you were on here last, and a lot has happened with your summer, hasn't it? How are you feeling now? I'm feeling quite good. I just got back from Germany again uh, a week ago. I had surgery there about a little more than two weeks ago to have all the plates and screws removed, which I put in into the pelvis. And I'm starting therapy again, and from there on, it's going forward towards riding again. Now, are you in much pain at the moment? Are you able to walk okay, Gunther? I'm walking okay, and I'm starting to walk a little more every day. And the pain gets better every day. And it's, uh, you know, it's the normal pain, I would assume, after surgery like this. And, um, but nothing unbearable, and every day it gets a little more comfortable. And I assume in a few weeks I'll be with almost no pain. Well, just remind our listeners, Gunter, exactly what the extent of your injuries were. It was a broken pelvis, wasn't it? Yes, it was a broken pelvis, and it broke in the back of on the left-hand side, and um, it opened up the front. It's called actually in the literature we call it an open book pelvis break, which the front opens up and gets. All the, everything was open in the front. So anyway, they had to put a, a plate in the front with screws to hold that together and then a big screw in the back to hold that together. So that pretty much was it. And um, that, that's what they did in the first operation right after the accident. And, and so this surgery again that you just had was to remove the plates and the screws, presumably then the bones have knitted together now and you're, you, you can, the, the pelvis will hold firm now, will it? Correct. That's, that's the belief. And of course, you have all the, you have the holes in the bones now from the screws and um, the, the damage from cutting in. But that should all heal in, in much quicker time now. So um, I'm very confident that this will be... Um, over with in, in no time. <laughs> well, as I said, it's been quite the summer for you. Take us back to that accident back in June when you were in Germany. It was all part of your plan to prepare you two for the selection trials, and you were going to do some shows over there in Germany. You arrived at the Balkan Holes where you were going mm. to be training. And and then the accident happened. You had a fresh horse under you that day. Tell us exactly what happened, Gunther. 
Um, it was the first, I mean, we, we arrived and the horse had not been out really since he came off the plane. You know, he came, walked a little bit, got in the stall, and the next day we were just going to get on and work him very lightly. And it's, I mean, obviously it's a horse as heard since he's been four years old and he's nine, so I know him very, very well. And the horse never bucked in his whole life or did anything. There was no um, reason to believe something would be wrong or something would not be okay to get on. And we hand-rocked him, you know, put the saddle on, hand-rocked him in the arena around for a little bit, and I got on, and something spooked him or something set him off, and he started bucking. And I personally don't remember anything really after that fact. I just remember getting on, basically, and walking off. But that's pretty much the last thing I remember. And um, But he started bucking. I probably didn't take it too serious at the beginning because he doesn't do that. And then once he got his head all the way down, he started bucking like a bronco, I guess, till I finally came off. You you were wearing a helmet at the time though, but did do you know? Do, did anyone tell you how you felt that that caused such a drastic uh, and and horrific break of the pelvis? Did you land very awkwardly? Did they tell you, Gunter? Well, they say it, it, it was fine. It was Klaus and my um, groom and uh, Matthias Rad actually, who was in the tournament team. He was training there. Um, <clears throat> they say it might have happened in the saddle for breaking the pelvis because. Like, I came out of the saddle once, and the horse went down, I went up, and then he came up again, and I went down and hit right into the saddle. And um, probably that's how that broke. I really landed really, really, really hard in the saddle. Wow. And then I probably fell off, and then when I fell on my right side, then I collapsed my lung and, and broken some ribs. So that's probably how it happened. So, yes, there was an awful lot happened at once. As you said, you you had a collapsed lung, some broken ribs, but you were in good care. You went off to uh, hospital immediately. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate. There was a, um, a veterinarian, a good friend of mine in Klaus's, who had a very good friend who was the main surgeon at a, at a big hospital, university hospital in a, in a town called Münster. And first they had taken me to a smaller town, which is close by, with an ambulance. And then they realized what the um, fracture was. And I think, to, as far as I understand, you have to operate it immediately, otherwise you bleed to death. Basically, if you don't do anything, because there's a lot of internal bleeding. So they, um, that surgeon, fortunately, was home watching soccer, and the, my friend called him, and he was ready with his team to do surgery. It was Sunday afternoon, I think. Um, mm-hmm. at the hospital and they flew me with the helicopter to the next hospital, the hospital in Münster and that's where they performed surgery. Well, that's pretty frightening uh, to have to go through that but it sounds like you were in extremely good hands. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and you had obviously surgery and then you had a period in hospital and, and, uh, and then some rehab out there and enough so that you could actually... Uh, you were fit enough to fly back to the states, back to, mm-hmm. to your home in California, yeah. and and did did you always know that you would have to go back then, Gunter, to have that surgery, the second surgery, to remove the pins and the plate? Well, that that was pretty is that pretty clear. Unless you know, if I would have no aspiration to do any sports or something, it, it's not such a big huge deal. But pretty much, the, he he told me that version has to come out again, the whole hardware, and. Um, I could have done it in the States, too. It's not like there are no doctors to take that out, but I was so comfortable with that doctor, and he was 
it took so much extra time to explain and, and, and look into things and check how I was and, and, and give advice. But I felt so super comfortable with him doing it again. And the doctor I had here when I came home, I didn't like at all. Um, he was kind of short and just I didn't like him. And I just couldn't bring myself to have him do the surgery. And I just decided to go back to Germany to have him do the surgery again because I figured he knew how to put it in. He he knows how to take it out. (laughs) So So it was worth enduring that long, long flight from California to Germany and back. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Now, you've been back, as you said, a couple of weeks now, Gunther. So how will the rehab progress now? I know you're having daily physical therapy, are you? Yes. Um, well, daily, not anymore right now. I've, I've had a lot of instructions, but there's lots of you can do yourself. I think it's the daily stuff, you basically, I think it's for someone who can't physically do it themselves or is not at all motivated. But if you're a little motivated, they can, they can show you what to do, and then you do a lot on your own and then go in twice a week or something. That's what I'm doing right now. So what is the program now with you building up, obviously, your strength? Did you find that you lost much strength during this time, Gunther, or were you able to do sort of core exercises to keep some, you know, core muscles strong? Well, it's very limited. You can't do some, but it's very limited what you can do. So, you know, you, you lose a lot of strength and a lot of balance because, you know, I was on crutches for almost three months at um, where I wasn't allowed to walk much. So, um it's it's a lot to get the balance and strength and evenness back again. But um, I can already tell it's getting better now. So um, it's just, a, it takes a long process. And let's say in about six weeks from now, I can probably try to get on a horse and, and start being a little more aggressively active. So. so how have you been able to spend this time then being sidelined? It must be very frustrating for someone as active as yourself. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, I, I, right now I, I can walk a little but before it was just, you just have to settle down and, and do what you can do. You know, there's so many people, especially when you go to therapy, you see so many people who are much worse off than yourself. You stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know, it's... If you know it's only a certain amount of time and you can actually get better, it's all okay. And, it, you know, I was teaching more. I went out to teach more than I usually do. And um, that's fun. And, um, you know, lots of friends around. And, of course, at that, that time I did more therapy. And you can do some stuff in the water. There's a lot of therapy in the water. So you spend a lot of time in the pool, which I like. I like the water. So that, that all worked out well. So when you're teaching, are you able to stand for extended periods, Gunter, or do oh, you have yeah. to sit? Now, now I can stand and walk around, actually, and teach. At the beginning, of, when I had a crutches, I was only sitting, yes. Uh-huh. But now I am, I'm pretty much up on my feet most of the day now. Well, just a few few more weeks now as we get into the winter, and you'll be getting back on a horse now. Tell us, will will that be you too, or which other horses and uh, will you be riding? And, and what happened to you too? Is he back home with you? Yeah, he's back home, and a girl named Sarah, um, who works for me, rides him very, very well. She gets taught on him every day, and she rides on my other horses also. And um, at the beginning, I'm not quite sure. It depends how it feels, you know. I will probably get a Nikolaus, who's 22, my older horse. Yeah. <laughs> and first, 
get on and walk him around a little bit and see how everything feels and just take it from there. So, um, you know, once I get on you two or any of, of the fit horses, I want to feel like if they would make a jump, I want to be able to close my leg and stay on. I don't want to feel like they have to walk quietly or can just, you know, because usually right. then you assume that that's not going to happen. So, um, once I get on the fit of horses, I want to be in a in a position that I can handle that. Absolutely. Well, it's good you still got the old horse, Nicholas, to to ride just to get you started again. <laughs> and so he's doing what? He's twenty two. Did you say? Twenty one or twenty one. Twenty one. He gets ridden an hour every day. Well, and maybe he sees him from the barn, and he's happy as a clown. <laughs> Well, we'll be coming into the winter here and hopefully everything will go according to plan for you, Gunter, and you'll be back riding the fit horses again You know, by the end of the year. What would your hopes be for for next year, for the 2011 season, Gunter, at this point? Well, I'm hoping I have two horses which hopefully do the Grand Prix, maybe two and another horse which was laid up a little bit. But um, my, my plan would be to do the CDIs in the early year the beginning of the year in California, and if everything goes well, go back to Europe, try to show you two at least in the Grand Prix in Europe, maybe the other horse too, and really get prepared and ready for the Olympic year for the following year. For the following year, you know, you have to pretty much go out there and show yourself and establish yourself a little bit this coming year if you want to have a shot at making the team the following year. So that's kind of the plan. That's the plan. So have you, or will you have a talk to you two and tell him that, you know, this bucking is fine when he's in the paddock, but it's not such a good idea when you're on him? I already did. He knows, he knows. Enough of that pranking around. How old is he now? He's still a young horse, isn't he? He's nine. Uh He's nine. Ah, okay. Well, tell him it's time to grow out of that. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, Gundy, it's great to catch up with you. I'm so glad you're back on the mend and uh, soon be you know, back in the saddle as well. And we'll look forward to catching up with you in the new year when you're uh, back in the show ring as well. We want to wish you the very best of luck for continued and safe recovery. And, and thank you again for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Chris. It was my pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's ex- it's very, very good news, Heather, right there, that he's doing so well. You can only imagine, I mean, the pelvis is such an important part of riding. I mean, if you break your wrist or something, you can still ride. But to to damage your pelvis in such a profound way, that's got to be so... Have, have you broken many bones in your career, Heather? Well, I'm not superstitious, so I don't mind saying no. <laughs> um, I haven't, and... Um, you know, well, I've I've probably sprained a few things, and there have been some questionable falls. You know, whether or not I actually broke anything, but I I hate doctors, so I don't go in. And I'm, I'm I mean, Gunter obviously didn't have any um, option other than to go, but I I will stay away as long as I can. I may have broken something, but probably not. And I can't imagine being in that much pain um, breaking pelvis. A friend of mine also broke her pelvis um, very similar way, and. She's also riding again too, and it's just it's just so horrible to think about the pain that has to um, be gone through. But um, yeah, but he's back on his feet, back in the saddle. Um, well, not quite back in the saddle, but you know he's he's walking well now. He's walking unaided without crutches, and uh, as we heard there, and he's doing extremely well. So it won't be long before he is back in the tack. And uh, I want to thank Gunter again 
for taking the time to come on the show and we'll be following him with interest of course uh, he'll be thinking of the Pan American Games like you are of next year Heather I mean that is the big championship of next year um, you of course will have a program like I think any rider it, it, it is a, it's just part of the journey isn't it you have to have your your your, t- your strategy of your your uh, competition schedule mapped out for months in advance don't you yeah it does it, you do it takes a lot of planning to get to a you know a, a, an international or a, a huge championship of any sort um you know whether it's your regionals um usdf regionals or international show you do have to, the sooner or the earlier you schedule things and get it in your head, what your horse is going to be looking at for the next months ahead is uh, the better. You can just really fine tune your training strategies and your, you know, your intensity levels and, you know, just many, many things as your horse's health in general has to be so considered um, and his strength and his education, all that has to be so considered when you, when you put them out there in, in those kind of competitions, you know, local competitions as well, it should all just be really, really considered. Yeah, absolutely. Very deliberate. Well, I know that we're coming to your tip of, of the week, Heather, and it's something that I think you do so well. I've watched you ride. I've watched you do clinics. And you do do this so very well. But I think it's, a, it's something of a challenge and, and something certainly worth addressing. So I'm going to hand it over to you to talk about the best ways to leave your horse alone yet stay effective in your riding? Well, I just um, thought about bringing this up as tip of the week because I do tend to uh, bring this up to most of my students, at least at some point or another, that one of the goals we're really going for is to find out how to how to be really effective as far as you have to be in command. You have to be the one that is determining what's going to happen as you ride your horse, and that there's no denying that. Um, but to be able to do that while you at the same time stay as much as possible out of your horse's way is a, is a really tough combination um, to learn. I think you can't really, really get that unless you have a fair amount of body awareness, knowing where your balance is, how your body is organized and arranged, and you stay responsible for your own body weight and for your own balance. Um, can take you know a fair amount of work to get to that point. But if you keep that awareness and then your aids to, uh, that you use to designate what your horse does um, stay as simple as possible, then, um, you know, that kind of just, that's like a summation of what has to happen. Getting there can be complicated, but once you get there, that's what you can say is happening, that you keep yourself completely independent from your horse, that your horse can't rely on you to hold his balance or to hold his tempo um, to hold on to his frame, you know, if if you have an ideal moment, you should really feel like at that point when the when when the goal is reached, that you might feel like almost unnecessary to even be there. Your body weight or your legs or your hands or reins, anything, should feel like well, if all this disappeared, my horse would still basically be doing what he's doing, and then he's doing the work and is like designated by the rider, but um, but the rider just can feel a sense of not being like a necessary piece in the moments where you feel like it's what you want. And it's what I get in my horses and um, trained a lot of them that way. And I see just a really big improvement in my students too, when they kind of get that concept and it's maybe easier said than done, but I think it's a great thing to kind of hang up as a, on your wall or post-it note or whatever as a goal to strive for. Being part of the motion and the rhythm, but not interfering with it. Right. 
Yeah, to be able to give your horses clear signals, clear aids, and then let them do the work without being doing it for them and without being in their way of them performing it for you. So it's a magical little place. And, of course, another way to describe that is overriding. And so many people seem to be be doing that and not realizing they're doing it. Right. And it's easy for aids to get too strong. I mean, aids should really be defined as, as really super light and asking very nicely. And, you know, consequences might be different, but aids should stay really light. And if aids get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger, then it turns into the riders pretty much like taking, well, not taking the reins. I was going to use that phrase, but it's too confusing. Um, you know, taking kind of taking charge of doing the actual physical work for the horse where they will hold them up and they'll hold them forward and they'll drive really hard and the horse will just kind of do less work and the rider will do more and it, it turns into definitely into overriding. And you see that a lot. Yes, you certainly do. Well, that's a great tip and thank you for that, Heather. Well, oh, we welcome. have uh, one email, Heather, which uh, I think we're going to uh, let you answer this. And this comes from Lois Niven. Lois, thank you very much for writing in. And she says she's wondering if there's a diplomatic way to have a discussion about the ritual of denying top dressage horses any time being horses outside their stalls for fear of, quote, catastrophic injury in turnout resulting often in euthanasia. And she mentions that following, of course, the recent death of Cabana Boy, Chris Hickey's horse, and uh, and she heard that Edward Garland, Stephen Peters, and both of, uh, both state that, of course, Totalus and Ravel are not turned out. And she was quite surprised to then hear Laura Bechlesheimer discuss how her horses are horses first and are therefore given access to pasture on a regular basis. I wonder what percentage of our best are given that luxury as opposed to being bubble wrapped 24-7. If dressage is supposed to produce the best conditioned horse, should that not result in a horse that can move freely and soundly without a rider? Would a horse given regular turnout not be further conditioned by that free movement in pasture? With that regular opportunity to be just horses, would they not maintain sounder mental conditioning as opposed to becoming overwhelmed when given a rare chance of freedom? Without disrespect to those who excel in our sport at a regional, national and international level, I know they love their horses and want to do their best for them, but why do so many lose sight of what we practice and who we practice for? All that from Lois Nevin. Um, Heather, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, as you know, Chris, I do turn my horse Paragon out, and he has become extremely valuable in my life um, many, many ways, and I could easily see myself flipping into this oh my gosh he took a wrong step kind of just panic if I see him run past her but I'm really trying to keep myself from doing that um one of her uh, questions in her email there was um you know are, are horses not further conditioned by the freedom of movement and I think there have been scientific studies and it, maybe it was Hillary Clayton who was at the forefront of that um that has um um, stated there is a there's a definite um, improvement in a horse's longevity and in the health they have stronger tendons and I don't know about bones but at least the soft tissue um, in young horses that are turned out and and are in constant movement but I, I don't know if that's much past two years old that it is a it is a found fact with scientific research that young horses definitely need the free movement and it and it results in a lifelong improvement in health um, and soundness. 
I'm not sure about the older horses if it's, you know, and it hasn't been like a research study done. Um, of course, some horses don't like to be turned out. They either don't like to be um, far away from the barn. Horses can easily get conditioned to really would rather be in the barn, actually. Um, not all of them like to be out. And if they aren't happy when they're moving around, I don't think they're going to keep their body in a very balanced, kind of healthy place when they, you know, if they kick about or buck or whatever. Um, it actually could, obviously it does damage horses sometimes more than others, or we wouldn't have this fear. So, you know, it's hard to put yourself in the place of owning a Ravel or a Totalist where, you know, the price tags are what we all probably know they might be. <laughs> And, you know, putting a horse out in a pasture that has that kind of price tag on it, but none of us are really, not none of us, few of us have been in that position where, you know, would we do it? I don't know. Um, but I do think that in general, if a horse really enjoys the pasture and he handles himself well out there and he's used to it, that, um, I mean, I am definitely pro turning horses out. They're supposed to be out, you know. I mean, they are pretty domestic now. We've controlled their breeding for centuries enough that they're not like Mustangs who, you know, are so much on a, you know, a, a feral or wild horse diet or program. But still, um, if they don't like it, they don't like it. If they do, then, you know, that owner is probably going to be a little less um, cautious about turning them out. But, um, yeah, I, I do put Paragon out. I have a nice four-year-old coming up, too, and he has to go out. And, you know, he runs and bucks, and he throws himself up in the air, and he twists around, and he loves it. And I kind of feel like, you know, there's probably a lot that he's working out in his own body that he needs to do. That how could I ever, you know, really get to those things if, if he even could tell me what he needed? I think he can take care of a lot of things that he just kind of needs to do and then he's happier to work so I uh, you know everyone has their own opinion on that and as long as horses are happy in the barn then you know they they can they can live that life well of course uh, as Lewis draws attention to the conditioning the physical conditioning but um, and, and, and also maintaining sound and mental conditioning as well and that I think is just as important in many ways, isn't it? If the horse is used to it, then the mental benefits of being out and being a horse as much as possible. Well, yeah. I mean, they love to just roll in the dirt and, you know, scratch their skin wherever they want to scratch it by rolling around. And I mean, I guess if your horse is as big as mine, you can't roll in a stall. But, um, yeah, it, it just, uh, if they've st if they've been out, especially their whole life, and then all of a sudden you put them in, um, that would be pretty not fair. But that's rarely the case. I'm sure Totalist and Ravel, she states in her email, um, you know, they've probably been really conditioned to this program of training. They're probably handled, I don't know, three, four, five times a day. And I'm sure they don't sit around in boredom. They probably love their downtime in the stall to rest and just, you know, just chill and not have anything happening because they're probably you know, on quite a schedule 24 seven actually. So, you know, I, I doubt they're just going to be yanked in from pasture life into a stall life, you know, just from one day to the next. And if you do it right, horses can stay mentally very happy in a stall. Um, they just have to be, of course, cared for very well. Um, and if you're going to start turning them out from that point, sometimes they can really panic and they can really hate it. Um, and then it's sort of unfair to turn them out. So, 
you know, there you can you can weigh the options and you can look at the situation and just be smart about it either way. And if your horse is happy, then you're doing the best thing for him. Well, I hope that's been helpful, Lois. And of course, we would love to hear from you too. You know, what do you do with your horse? Do you turn him out or do you prefer not to? You can always uh, let us know here on the Dressage Radio Show. And we'll, uh, of course, bring any questions you have back to our hosts, as, as always. And you can send those questions over to me, chris at horseradionetwork.com. You know, we always love to hear from you. If you have any topics of interest like this that you'd like to us to discuss, just send those ideas over to me too. And don't forget you can follow our show notes, of course, as always, on dressageradio.com and our Facebook fan page. We'd love to hear from you there. Post your comments up there, too. We now have over a 1,000 fans, Heather, on Facebook. How about that? It's fantastic. Isn't that great? Uh, you know, we, you know, hard to catch up. What's that? I'll have to work harder to catch up with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrific that, uh, you know, the Dressage Radio Show has uh, built the community community that it has and i'm absolutely delighted to be part of that and heather uh you know we want to thank you of course for coming on the show regularly you're a very popular co-host here on the dressage radio show and uh, always love having you here and of course you can follow heather uh, as well on facebook she has a fan page and she's also on twitter at heather blitz and you can follow me chris e stafford or follow horse radio and you can also leave a voicemail for us here two seven zero eight zero three zero zero two five is the number to leave any message that you have for me or any of the co-hosts here on the show. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible, of course, and our backstage crew for turning the show out every week. And our guest this week, Mary Phelps from Dressage Daily and HorsesDaily.com. And for, Gun- for Gunter Seidel joining us uh, at a two on the show, we're always glad to hear from him and know that he's making such a great recovery. And don't forget to check out all the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network, not least of all the brand new 90-minute live morning show, Horses in the Morning. You'll want to join that. Uh, um, that is a great new show. As I said, it's live. It's the first and only night live horse show here um, on the Horse Radio Network or anywhere in the world for that matter. So uh, join Jamie and Glenn on that uh, weekdays, five days a week from 9 till 10.30 Eastern. Well, Heather, that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, <clears throat> are you uh, heading anywhere to the sun or anywhere nice in the next few weeks before you no, go back I'm thinking, to? I, I'm heading into the cold. I have to go to Kansas City, Kansas, and teach a clinic this weekend, and it's going to be very cold. Oh, I'm sure it is. That has to be a shock from you coming up from the deep south. Yes, well, we've had a few cool nights here, um, but I think it's going to be maybe nights below freezing there, so I'm just going to have to put on my foot warmers and hat and just my big thick coat and suffer through it there you go well at least it's a short uh, time just for the weekend well travel safely heather thank you so much for coming back on the show will you come back and see us in a few weeks i will come back yes absolutely and i'll have a whole new list of apps that you'll have to <laughs> i'm relying on you now being our iphone app reviewer okay <laughs> all right thanks so much well, of course, I'll be back the same time, same place, and on the Dressage Radio Show. So thanks to everybody around the world for listening. Until then, uh, Heather? Great being here again, and good luck with everybody riding, and um, see you next time. Bye.